Welcome to the first season of Murder and 20 podcast, where I, Bobby Stevens, am your host with a new episode every Wednesday. If you're a serious fan of true crime and love listening to podcasts, but don't want all that small talk, you've come to the right place. We get right to the facts. Murder and 20 episodes are concise and complete in 20 minutes. Less talk and more true crime. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. Born in Michigan in 1955, Carolyn Sokolowski grew up with her parents, brother Stephen, and sister Linda. Carolyn went on to attend college in Tennessee and received a bachelor's degree in science and started her career as an optometrist. In California, the sunny Pacific coast was whispering her name. Meanwhile, Kenneth Stahl, or Ken for short, was born and raised in California with three sisters. He attended college in Missouri and graduated with a degree and became an anesthesiologist. He spent time in the military and eventually established a successful practice in Irvine, California, 40 miles south of Los Angeles. Ken and Carolyn met in the doctor's lounge at a hospital in California. By that time, she had been married and divorced once with no children, and he had been married and divorced twice with a son. They shared a love of the outdoors and did not let their divorces or 13-year age difference stop them from seeking happily ever after. And just as the Christmas trees were fading and the decorations were being packed up, the two lovebirds, with a prenuptial agreement in hand, joined in marriage in January 1988. Their wedding photo shows a smiling happy couple, her in a traditional white wedding dress with a high scoop neckline. She is smiling wide, her red lipstick matching the red flowers in her bouquet. He is looking dashy in a black suit, white dress shirt, and black bow tie. Carolyn and Ken settled into a home in Huntington Beach, a coastal community next to the Pacific Ocean. Their life together started out as a fairy tale, and friends and acquaintances viewed them as a power couple, seemingly happy, always busy working at their careers. But within a few years, the kingdom's foundation began to crack. Underneath the fairy tale facade, unhappiness and faithfulness began to creep in. In the Los Angeles Times, Carolyn's sister Linda would later recall that the romance eventually faded and the relationship became strained when she discovered he'd had a number of affairs. He reportedly said, This is me. Take it or leave it. At one point, she talked about getting a divorce, but Ken's mom encouraged them to go to marriage counseling. Carolyn remained hopeful. So on November 19, 1999, when Ken proposed a surprise for her 44th birthday, she was excited. Meanwhile, Adriana Vasco lived not far from Ken and Carolyn, but her life was vastly different. Born in 1968, she had long dark hair that framed her round face, a bright smile and soulful dark eyes. She grew up in a home with a cruel stepfather that abused her for years, and she ran away at the age of 16. She met and married her first husband and had a son, but ended up suffering more physical abuse at his hands, so she moved on. In 1992, Adriana met Ken Stahl, who must have looked like Prince Charming to her. Although they were separated in age by 26 years, they bonded over their unhappy marriages and began an affair. She even confided in her supervisor at work that she was dating Ken. He showered her with gifts of cash, often $500 to $800 at a time. Court transcripts would later state that Carolyn had learned of her husband's affair with Adriana and confronted her several times over the phone. Adriana would state that by 1993, Ken hated his wife 
and was talking about killing her. By 1995, it became clear to Adriana that Ken was never going to divorce his wife to be with her. Ken's mother was fond of Carolyn, and although they had signed a prenup, he feared he would be left in financial ruin, so Adriana ended their four-year affair. She met Greg Stewart, and together they had a daughter, but her ties to Ken were never severed. While she was with Greg, he continued to visit her and provide financial support. Adriana's relationship with Greg was repeating old patterns of abuse, and she ended their relationship in 1998. Now with two children, she found herself a single mother, working as a hospital receptionist. The Los Angeles Times reported that the residents at her apartment complex described Adriana as an attractive and reserved single mother who was raising her 11-year-old son and 4-year-old daughter. She was known for playing Mexican music in her apartment and was often seen taking her children to a nearby library or going to work in her new sister uniform. Court records would show that in November 1998, Ken had stepped up his plan to get rid of Carolyn and approached Richard Anyea, an electrician and former gang member, and asked him if he knew anyone that would take care of his wife. Fortunately, Richard refused to cooperate. Meanwhile, in Virginia, a man later known as Tony Sutton began a crime spree in 1989 and was convicted of breaking and entering, assault, and making threats. His life of crime continued for the next decade, and in August 1999, in the small town of Suffolk, Virginia, Tony and a female accomplice were speeding away with $200 they just robbed from a convenience store. When 10 miles into their escape, their Chevy Blazer ran out of gas on Route 460. Now you would think if you're going to rob a store and use a getaway vehicle, you'd make sure it had a full tank of gas. Local police and deputies quickly caught up with the pair. They handcuffed Tony and put him in the back seat of the police car while they talked to his accomplice. Now a couple of things happened that went in Tony's favor. The first just reported in the daily press was that the patrol car was new to the officer and he was unaware that a manual safety lock in the door jam needed to be set. The second thing that happened was that after police put Tony in the back of the car, no one stayed to watch him, which violated policy. Tony was referred to as the weasel for his ability to wiggle away from police and he lived up to his nickname. With his hands cuffed behind him and the officers not looking, Tony squirmed until he hit the door latch. That door popped open and he fled. For the next two hours, police searched the woods with the dogs, but Tony managed to flee. He would eventually make his way out west to California, where he found a job as a maintenance worker at an apartment building. The same building where Adriana was now living with her two children. In September, Tony was summoned to Adriana's apartment to fix a sink, and soon afterwards, they began dating. One day when Adriana was in a gun store with a family member, she pointed to a revolver and mentioned she'd bought Tony a similar one. He drank and used drugs and revealed to Adriana that he was wanted for robberies in North Carolina, but that didn't scare her away. One evening while they were having drinks, he told her he belonged to a group of hired assailants, and that didn't scare her off either. In fact, in court records, she mentioned that she told Tony she knew a doctor who wanted to kill his wife. Tony then wanted to meet this doctor. Adriana tried to tell him she was joking, but she claims he threatened her and her children. Tony often carried a shotgun at his side, so she believed him. A few days later, Tony complained he needed money and instructed Adriana to contact the doctor. She arranged for Tony and Ken Stahl to have a discussion on the phone. 
Adriana then arranged a face-to-face meeting between them in a parking lot. Tony instructed her to speak with Ken alone in his car. He produced an envelope full of cash and gave it to Adriana, a down payment on the hit on Carolyn. She would later claim in court records that she asked Ken not to go through with it, but that he didn't respond, so she gave the cash to Tony. Ken's bank records would later reveal that $20,000 had been withdrawn from his bank account on November 1st. Soon after, Tony lavished Adriana with expensive jewelry, which she wore to work to show off, and when asked about it by her supervisor, claimed that Tony's wealthy parents had sent him money. She would also later claim that after that meeting, Ken would frequently call and speak to Tony, but that she would leave the room and never spoke to either of them about Ken's plan to murder his wife. On Friday, November 19th, fall was creeping in, the temperature in California was in the low 70s, the sunshine lingering before the rainy season began. Ken called Adriana numerous times that day. Tony instructed Adriana to arrange another meeting with Ken in the parking lot. Court records indicated that when the three met, Ken told Adriana to drive with Tony to the Ortega Highway and that he would follow. Adriana followed instructions and stopped where Ken told her to. He then pulled in behind them. All three exited their vehicles, and while Ken and Adriana spoke briefly, Tony pulled out the handgun that she had bought him and aimed it at a sign, as if doing target practice. Adriana told Ken about Tony's threats to her and her family and asked him to reconsider, but he didn't answer her. What Adriana didn't know is that this was a dry run for tomorrow, a day that would change a lot of people's lives. It was a Saturday afternoon on November 20th. Adriana and Ken spoke on the phone. She said Ken felt uneasy about their impending meeting and was considering calling it off. Around 5 p.m., Tony showed up at Adriana's apartment with a shotgun by his side and ordered her to drive him back to the Ortega Highway. Adriana obeyed his order and slid behind the wheel of her car. Meanwhile, Ken and Carolyn were celebrating her birthday with a dinner in Mission Viejo, a 30-minute drive south of their home. Afterwards, they continued heading south for a drive. When Adriana and Tony arrived at the Ortega Highway, he instructed her to park at a gas station. The sun had set and they sat in the darkness and waited. Waited for Ken to drive by on the desolate and quiet highway. Then they spotted his silver 1996 Dodge Stratus. Tony had the gun in his hand. He told Adriana to follow Ken's car. After a couple of miles, Ken pulled over to the side of the highway near an emergency call box, but Ken didn't get out to make a phone call. Adriana made a U-turn and stopped in the middle of the highway. She stayed frozen in the driver's seat while Tony emerged from the car, dressed in black and wearing gloves. He approached Ken and Carolyn's car, which was parked and still running. He asked if everything was okay. Carolyn opened the passenger door. Tony started shooting. He shot Carolyn multiple times. Her body slumped in the seat, her foot, shoeless, hanging out the open door. Adriana remained seated in the car, but she could hear Carolyn's screams. She thought about leaving, but stopped when Tony pointed his gun at her. He returned to the car and reloaded his gun, because Carolyn was still alive. He then walked back over to the car and fired more shots. Ken died sitting behind the wheel with the seatbelt still fastened. Killing Ken was never part of the plan. 
Tony returned to Adriana and got in the car, blaming Ken for his death because he didn't keep his hands on the steering wheel. A short time later, a security guard hired to patrol a ranch that boarded the highway spotted a vehicle on the side of the road. It was running and its high beams were on. He noticed the driver's window had been shattered and could see two bodies. At 10.32 p.m., he phoned police. Sheriff's deputies arrived on the scene and discovered Ken and Carolyn had died from multiple gunshots. Forensic experts would later determine that they had died around 9 p.m. Deputies collected six bullets that were from a handgun, but they found no shell casings, which led them to believe that either the killer or killers had collected the casings, or had used a revolver where the shell casings remain inside the chamber. Detectives quickly ruled out a murder-suicide, but wondered how their car ended up on a highway in the opposite direction of their home. And it didn't appear to be a robbery. Their personal belongings and jewelries were still on their body. Police had very little evidence and no motive. Who would kill two upstanding doctors, and why? Ken and Carolyn's families were devastated. The Los Angeles Times reported that separate burials were held. At Ken's graveside service, he was honored for his military service, and funeral workers presented his mother with a folded American flag, which she handed to Ken's son. Fourteen days later, on December 4th, their joint memorial service was held at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. Friends and co-workers offered tearful memories of the couple, Ken's devotion to his medical practice, and Carolyn as an angel who walked among us. The Reverend said, and I quote, Our Kenneth and our Carolyn were cruelly wronged. It happened because of a very evil world. Good people are not supposed to die the way they did, by a pistol on the side of the road. Meanwhile, the Orange County Sheriffs had not made any arrests in the double murders. There were no witnesses and no signs of a struggle at the car. Investigators were exploring theories that the couple were victims of a random shooting, road rage, or a carjacking. The case went cold. Adriana later confided to her supervisor that Tony had been seeing another woman and that he'd moved back to North Carolina. By the summer of 2000, deputies received a tip that Tony was back, and Sergeant Smith at the Pitt County Sheriff's Office searched for him over a dozen times. But the weasel remained elusive. That is, until August. Eight deputies and a tracking dog descended on Tony's father's trailer in Pitt County in the blackness of night. Tony was asleep on the floor in one of the bedrooms. This time, the weasel couldn't outrun the law. Deputies bound his hands and feet and returned him to jail to face robbery charges. It had been almost ten months since the double murders on a dark, lonely stretch of a California highway, and two new detectives had taken on the case. With fresh eyes, they went over all the details and what little evidence they had. Meanwhile, police had arrested Adriana on an outstanding minor traffic violation, and while she was in jail, used the opportunity to re-interview her about Ken and Carolyn's deaths. Detectives had reviewed Ken's phone records and discovered a lot of phone calls between him and Adriana. Police had their suspicions, and Adriana finally admitted that she had been romantically involved with Ken on and off for eight years. In October, police searched Adriana's storage unit and discovered a mugshot of Tony, along with a picture of him and Adriana. They also found photos from Ken and Carolyn's driver's licenses. The pieces of the puzzle were starting to come together. 
police faxed Tony's photo to deputies in North Carolina, and by luck, it landed on Sergeant Smith's desk. He immediately recognized Tony Sutton as being the weasel, whose real name was Dennis Earl Godley. On December 11th, just over a year since Ken and Carolyn were murdered, prosecutors charged Adriana Vasco and Dennis Godley with their deaths. The Los Angeles Times reported that Orange County Sheriff's Department spokesman Jim Amarmino said that it is unclear who fired the fatal shots, but it was definitely a murder for hire. In addition to the murder charge, Adriana and Dennis also faced three special circumstances, a multiple murder, killing for financial gain, and lying in wait. These made them eligible for the death penalty. On December 27th, Adriana, who was now 33, was arrested and booked into jail. She was denied bail. On January 2nd, 2001, she gave an interview to Orange County Register reporter Bill Rams. In it, she shared details of the murder for hire. Court records would indicate that Ken had paid Dennis a total of $30,000 up front for the hit on his wife. In March, a judge threw out Adriana's confession, saying detectives showed a blatant disregard for her constitutional rights during their interrogation. The Los Angeles Times reported that the judge referred to Adriana as a vulnerable Mexican immigrant in fear for her safety and that of her children. Without her confession, prosecutors had lost their key evidence. At Adriana's pretrial hearing, the judge ruled that she must stand trial for the murders, but expressed doubt that prosecutors had enough evidence to convict her. The judge ordered reporter Bill Rams to testify about his jailhouse interview with Adriana. However, when the prosecution subpoenaed him to testify, he invoked the California Shield Law, which provides newspersons with immunity for refusing to disclose their sources of information that they've used in a story. The judge limited Adriana's defense lawyer to asking the reporter questions about only the statements he published. Any information derived from unpublished statements during the interview were not admissible. Adrienne admitted to taking three $10,000 payments from Ken and giving them to Dennis. In September, 30-year-old Dennis pled not guilty. The next year when Adriana's trial began, in the fall of 2002, the prosecution painted her as a dangerous mistress. A former friend testified to the animosity both Ken and Adriana had towards Carolyn and claimed that Adriana didn't like Ken's wife. Adriana's defense tried to portray Dennis as abusive and armed, who had control over her. A clinical psychologist testified that she suffered from battered women's syndrome and post-traumatic stress disorder. When the prosecutor asked Adriana that if she hadn't introduced Dennis to Ken, would Carolyn still be alive? She replied yes and broke into tears. But her tears didn't sway the jury, and on November 25th, they found her guilty of first-degree murder for Carolyn's death and second-degree murder for Ken's death. They also found her guilty of lying in wait and multiple murders. The jury threw out the third special circumstance of murder for financial gain. Two months later, she was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. In May 2004, Adriana appealed her conviction arguing that her lawyer was not allowed to adequately cross-examine Bill Ram, the newspaper reporter. A few weeks later, prosecutors dropped the death penalty against Dennis, partly due to his claims of childhood abuse. He then pled guilty. He too was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. 
for at the first time it was publicly revealed that a key part of his defense would be that he claimed he'd murdered only one of the victims, that Adriana had shot Carolyn. Without a trial, Dennis never revealed why he shot Ken. Was it really because he didn't put his hands on the steering wheel? Or was he jealous? Or maybe because Ken paid him up front for the hit, he decided to eliminate him as a witness. In June 2005, Adriana lost her appeal. Court records indicated that Adriana knew Dennis was a dangerous, violent, paranoid sociopath and knew he'd worked as a hired killer. And other evidence connected her to the murders, the revolver she'd bought Dennis, the fact that she'd lied to police, and the photos of Ken and Carolyn found in her storage locker. As of this writing, Adriana Vasco is incarcerated at the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Since I'm incarcerated, Dennis Godley has died. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20 with less talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Cam McLeod and Bryce Magalski. Two teenagers thought to be missing in the remote wilderness of British Columbia, but they had a secret plan, and their trail of violence would be felt around the world, from Canada to the United States and Australia. If you're dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or murderin20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music, sound effects and fastening studios and quick sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers.